Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Ladies and gentlemen, as Andrews, he is exiting stage right as I'm looking. And again, you know, we had a great chat actually off air. And we're going to come back. We're going to get him back in a couple of weeks' time. He can hear us right now. We will get him back in a couple of weeks' time to speak about uh, what we were discussing with John Nicholson, the kind of militarisation of sports. Because in the UK right now, uh, they have the poppy fund. And we discussed this last year, the exact same time last year, and all the fallout from it and the abuse some people take for, not, especially one Irish player, for not wearing a poppy. The poppy is to raise funds for... Um, ex-British service people which is great you know why not but it's for veterans of all wars and so on so in Northern Ireland they have a very obviously a, a difficult relationship with the British military um, and a lot of people don't really want to be part of it but there is a kind of bullying and you have to do it uh, or you're going to be showing up now um, before we go anywhere we're going to get Killian Corey of course to speak with rugby in just a moment uh, an event took place today and it's something I, I just 
rolling it back a little bit. I tweeted about it earlier on. Uh, a great broadcaster, uh, radio and TV, radio views, phenomenal, called Gay Byrne, Gabriel Byrne, uh, an Irish broadcaster. He passed away today. Uh, he was 70, uh, no, point 24, he was uh, seven, 85, sorry. A terrific person, a person who basically you would have, I would have grown up with listening on the radio. And the one most important thing that he said was about speaking truth and like sort of like being brave and saying things out. No, he didn't always follow through on it. But um, he was a person who kind of inspired a lot of people. And uh, I can just say that back in 96, my first uh, Christmas, I was over playing, of course, football in Canada and like listening to uh, kind of like treading in, like barely listening to his broadcast on Christmas Eve, made me feel a bit closer to home. Um, and I was able to phone and give greetings to everyone at home. It was cheaper than a phone call, a phone call to my family because I would have sat on for 20 minutes. Uh, of course, this was time barely with the internet. Uh, a couple of years later, I was there on the internet in 1998 and listened to his final show on the air. And it kind of was that emotional moment where it's like the end of an era. Um, so, yeah, so just... just um, there's these inspirational broadcasters, people who, you know, on TV, he was the best. He was, he was brought up to America. He wanted him in America because he was just so good. But anyway, enough of that. So uh, I'll say on the right hand of God, we'll let him rest. OK, so we're going to go over to Ireland anyway to Killian O'Connor. Killian, you're hitting us uh, loud and clear? Yes. Very good. This is. I was just giving a little bit of a sort of a few words about Gabor. And I mean, uh, what is it like back home? I mean, it's it, like a lot of people are kind of remembering him and like funny moments, sad moments. Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, like, like you said, I suppose everyone grew up listening to him and watching him. I mean, w- would you've been a, w- no? You've been probably too young to really remember him in his heyday, I guess. Um, no, you're being very kind there. Um, <laughs> I, I would, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was around in his heyday. Um, and yeah, I suppose, uh, I suppose it showed what a good broadcaster was and in, in terms of what, what has followed. Um, and I suppose that's the, the best, best thing that can be, can be said. Okay, I mean, there was one moment where there's a kind of a hidden camera where he was set up with uh, another Irish broadcaster, Mike Murphy, where they were posing as French football fans and they were distracting him and like from doing his piece about uh, a university in Ireland. So he's in a piece of the camera and eventually he turned around and started like, like cursing these guys out. And of course, then they were so shocked they said, "No, no, it's us." And he kind of fell apart with it, or felt like he was like laughing about it. Uh, Killian, listen, the main reason we're on, of course, is because of the Rugby World Cup, which finished on Saturday morning. Now, we kind of we knew how the uh, the final game between New Zealand and Wales was going to end up because New Zealand hammered Wales forty seventeen. The World Cup final, if you were listen to any of the English media in the build up, was a foregone conclusion, but it didn't quite turn out that way for England against South Africa. Yeah, I suppose um, the way England play, I suppose they would have loved if South Africa had beaten New Zealand um, in the um, in the group stages, and that they would have faced New Zealand in the in the final. Um, and as it as it turned out, you know, even the way Wales played South Africa in the semi final, it it just didn't suit the the type of playing and have and lo- obviously losing Carl Sinclair. Inside two or three minutes didn't help things, um, and you know a huge, uh, huge dose of humble pie for uh, poor Eddie Jones. Okay, so they lost thirty-two twelve. South Africa kind of outmuscled them, but 
it still goes back to that picture. It comes back to that picture for me before the World Cup when all the South African guys just standing there ripped. So it was kind of like the appliance of science for both sides, but the South Africans just did it a little bit better or had more talent. Uh, yeah, I suppose South Africa have never been, I don't know, as far as, as I've you know, seen them over the years, they've never been a completely flair team like New Zealand. They've, you know, they've trudged through victories and haven't really uh, bothered which way they came when, once they came. Um, I suppose that, I don't know, to, to a certain degree, England just didn't have anything um, in response to, to, you know, it's a bit of a cliche to go on about physicality in rugby, <laughs> um, especially in the World Cup final, but um, the, it, it just seemed like the the whole stage just completely took them by surprise. You know, the the handling errors that you know the likes of George Ford um, or Ben Youngs was doing, and when you look at for Danny Cipriani must be sitting at home just going, what on earth uh, possessed Eddie Jones to leave me out of the entire uh, World Cup squad. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it was Eddie Jones who said today that, you know, the, the squad they have or that they will have for the Six Nations is going to uh, be kind of working towards the next World Cup. So that'll be very interesting and telling in terms of the players he he picks and you know maybe I don't know it, it's not a, a huge um, characteristic of rugby coaches to you know completely uh, out with the old and with the new so you know I'd say there'd be a I'll, I'll take anything Eddie Jones says at this stage of the pinch of salt. I mean it was it was great of course we, we, you know it's kind of the the nice story. Um, for, for South Africa with uh, Sia Khaleesi, the captain. I mean, he had a great, you know, um, he had a great uh, back, or sort of very interesting background, like where his mother was uh, 16 when he was born. Uh, she died when he was 15. Uh, his grandmother, or his now deceased grandmother, raised him and so on. Um, he's a person of colour. So it was like, so it, it might be felt it was very important for him to be standing up there lifting the trophy and captaining the team. Um is this, can we say that this is a feel-good uh, win for South Africa? Like, how do you personally feel about this whole, uh, you know, the, the, the whole circus around the World Cup and around South Africa in particular? Um, I, I don't know. It's 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 very strange that uh, Felix Jones, someone who, you know, wasn't really involved much or at all in the Ireland setup, would be taken on, on board with South Africa, obviously there is the Razzie Erasmus um, link with Munster. Um, four years ago, I couldn't have seen this, but it's it's rugby. You know, there's at, at best eight teams that can uh, compete on a you know an, an international level. Um, and despite Japan pulling off a, a shocker two every four years, it's 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 not the global tournament people um, kind of expect when you when you turn on a World Cup in any sport. Um, feel good factor. Uh, I don't know. It's a. I think it's a. 
Um, on one one side, it's a little bit condescending to just go, "Oh, isn't it great that South Africa, you know, won the World Cup? They're, you know, they've tied uh, New Zealand with winning it three times." Um, I suppose World Rugby were were patting themselves on the back in in terms of the competition that they put on Japan and the the kind of growth that they that they anticipate the, the World Cup getting. But, you know, it's easy to say that when there's a global tournament and, you know, broadcasters from all over the world in in your country and showing a sport. Um, you know, Karen Reed is, is, is moving to Japan and, and playing for one of their teams. But, you know, the, the level that he'll be playing at, you know, Shane Williams went there when he was you know, so far past his best. For for real change to happen, I, I think in, in, in World Rugby, they, they need to, you know, they need to stop kind of pandering to the, the big eight. You know, if there is eight teams there, but they have to put a lot of money into developing the game. You know, like the, they, they spoke before the World Cup about how they gave money to the Pacific Island teams to develop in terms of coaching, in terms of uh, management staff. <laughs> they weren't good enough. Well, I mean, that, um, that's, that's the whole um, thing. I mean, it's it, a lot of the money that goes in, for example, um, I've seen it, for example, in Croatia, money would go in, but it kind of disappeared. And then you've got like the chief coaching officer for the country is a guy who was basically banned for life from playing because he was done twice for... Well, he, he, he's done twice. He went to France to play and was done and then came back and was done again. So, I mean, there's, it's like, oh, you know, do we really... Is this the, the right signal to be sending out? Um, in saying that, you know, like with, with the development, there are more countries playing. And, of course, Russia got a bit of a... Uh, uh, with Artemiev, the, the captain of the, the Russia team here, people started to look at him and go, oh, like, this is kind of cool. It's an interesting sport. But it's going to die a death after, you know, and it's already died to death. Like, you know, he was okay, interesting for a week, and then that's it. So, yeah. what what can World Rugby do to make well, it a bit more long-term? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I suppose even in, in the UK this week, um, there was hardly any coverage in the media. And, you know, I suppose it's... Killian, is he still there? Killian? Yeah, you're still there, Killian? Okay, okay, we've, have we lost Killian? No? He's not there? Okay, he, he's, he's coming back to us now in just a moment. Um, another interesting story broke this past, well, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, where the autobiography of the former Irish uh, rugby captain, Jamie Heaslip, uh, won the most cap players for Ireland, and, like, you know, this outstanding, big, tall guy, sort of from a military family, plays at the back of the scrum, and, uh, you know, kind of dashing, handsome hero. Uh, he wrote his or his biography or yeah, his biography was put out, uh, written with a, a leading Irish journalist called Matt Cooper. And in it, he said about like he a shock that he got when he opened a piece of paper saying that he'd failed a test, uh, a doping test in America when he was over in America at a tournament, and it just basically disappeared. Now we don't know what happened um, with that uh, because it was, you know, people were were asking questions: what happened? What happened? Paul Kimmage, of course, a friend of our show, he went after this and said, where is this? This doesn't make sense. And he kind of, he smelled something odd. So he started following up with the Sports Council of Ireland and WADA anti-doping and so on and so forth. 
and they had no record and they couldn't say it. Um, it was kind of, uh, it was a bit, I don't know, strange. I'll let Killian take up the story. Killian, I was just mentioning to our listeners about the Jamie Heaslip story. What, what happened around it and where are we at right now with the Farmers, Farmer Irish International? Um, well, I suppose in his uh, book, All In, um, which uh, is kind of ironic um, considering what's happened since then, um, he mentioned that he got contact from Sport Ireland saying that he had uh, failed a drug test. Um, then in, in an interview with the Irish Independent or the Sunday Independent, Sport Ireland said he was confused um, and apparently he was confused and he so he said that it was a different time of year which turns out to be a couple of days before the um, I think it was the, the Heineken Cup semi-final between Lance and Munster um, but there's you know there's just so many questions in relation to how it, it doesn't even come to life as if someone has uh, failed the test or if a test is very suspicious that it doesn't it goes completely under the radar and it's left to uh someone's autobiography to uh put it out but then he can't even remember what he's talking about uh i suppose it's very very strange that someone would just take uh something like that at face value and write it in a book um and he has produced. He has produced a letter. He said, "Like, no, this is what I have." He has like spoken about it. Then he gave an interview. But does it smell a little bit that maybe he was maybe mixed up, or maybe it was just maybe a cover up? Um, I'm not putting. It, no, you can say. Very, you can, very good. <laughs> it's okay. We're in Russian territory. It's okay. You can say it. It's okay. I, uh, I, I suppose the, it, it, the you know the big question of doping controls into the, the public eye and those who do doping controls um, you know it, it seems that uh, you know how many other instances of, of players in any sport uh, in a similar situation to Jamie Heaslip have not been released and that questions remain um, I, I I don't Jamie Heaslip said that his uh his attention to detail or something was a little bit off. Um, <laughs> Maybe his concussion locks to the head. We don't think it could be. It, 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 it could very, very possibly be. Okay. Listen, Killian, thank you so much. Um, enjoy, enjoy the rest of the evening there. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. No problem. Thank you. Okay, it's Killian Conhor. Of course, recap on rugby and the strange case of Jamie Heaslip's, well, missing memory. Okay, we it was a bad day for Jamie. It was a bad day for Spartak today. So we're going to, to honour of that, we're going to play out to the break with Daniel Powter and Bad Day. We're coming back to talk Dutch football with James Rowe. Back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
Take it with a pinch of salt. Take it with a pinch of salt. Объясняет коммерческий директор рекрутинговой компании Люк Джонс, Лондон, Великобритания. Очень хорошее выражение. Это обозначает, что типа это не сто процентов правда, что with a pinch of salt, чтобы улучшить что-то, потому что обычно соль насыпают, чтобы ну, более вкусно было. И поэтому это значит, что если кто-то что-то говорит, скорее всего, он чуть-чуть преувеличивает. Take it with a pinch of salt. Take it with a pinch of salt. With Alan Moore. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Capital Sports here on Moscow's Capital FM. I am Alan Moore, so I'm still here. We have another. We're in the 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 la, We're almost coming to the last little lap, shall we say, of it. So, uh, in just a moment, we're going to bring up James Rowe, who's going to talk to us for all the way from the Netherlands about what's happening over there. But again, we're going to just recap again on those games that are coming up this week in the Champions League because uh, some huge ones tomorrow night. Of course, we know Zenit are home against uh, Red Bull Leipzig. Uh, that is kicking off at nine o'clock. Okay. Okay, so get that in. And after that game at 11 o'clock, Chelsea playing Ajax Amsterdam and, of course, Liverpool at home against Genk. Now, on Wednesday, that's the one that interests us. Uh, it does interest us most in all fairness. 9 o'clock, 5 minutes to 9, Loco playing at home against, Lo- uh, against Juventus. Now, two of our people have said that Loco could get a draw or should get a draw. And, of course, Andy Max said it's going to be a 1-0 home loss. After that, if you're still awake after that game, if you haven't frozen, um, Man City are away to Atalanta in Italy, so a bit warmer for them there. Bayer Leverkusen, that's in the same group as Loco and Juve. That is on 11 o'clock um, against Atletico Madrid, so that is one to watch. But the one that I think is going to be a cracker, folks, trust me on this, it is going to be Real Madrid and Galatasaray. I just, I think Galatasaray are really going to put it up to Real Madrid, so be ready for that. Now, Arsenal's game has been moved forward, just uh, just so you know, against Guimarães out in Portugal. They are kicking off at 10 minutes to 7 Moscow time. That, of course, is on Wednesday as well. Of course, that's the Europa League, but they've moved a, a day forward. Now, of course, we also know that Siskar, our own Moscow team, they are in, ac- <coughs> excuse me, they are in action in the Europa League. And, um, well, I'm going to bring up the Eintracht Frankfurt are playing as well. They're playing against uh, Standard Liège. They're playing five minutes to eight. Okay, but CSK Moscow, they are down in the beautiful, beautiful city of Budapest against Ferenc Faros in one of the most wonderful looking stadiums from the outside. It's just absolutely wonderful. That kickoff is at 11 o'clock on Thursday evening. All right, so we're going to go all the way to the Netherlands to uh, a friend of the show, James Rowe. James, how are you doing? Can you hear us loud and clear? I can hear you loud and clear. Good evening, everybody. How is everyone? Oh, listen, we're super. I'm um, just getting the, the thumbs up there from from that double N. Um, okay, huge news today in the Bundesliga, which is directly related to Holland. Um, Mr. Ten Hag could be going to take up the vacancy in Bayern Munich. It's possible. It's possible. I'm having a bit of feedback, my end, and a bit of an echo. I hope that's not a, not a problem. No, you're, you're loud and clear for us. Okay, no, well, it's just to give the listeners a bit of a background information. Ten Hag was uh, the coach of the Bayern Munich second team uh, when Guardiola was there. Um, Ten Hag, by his own admission, has stated that he would like to return to Germany and, and primarily become a Bundesliga manager. And it's been known for quite some time here in the Netherlands that uh, Bayern uh, Munich are looking at him. And uh, reports came out on Saturday that they were gathering pace uh, only the, the, here in the Netherlands, they're very hot on the lengths of contracts and how and necessary compensation. So the, the, the current um, information is that um, Ajax are not. They ideally like to, to let him finish the season, and obviously they're stating that he's not available until the summer. But uh, as you say, nothing is nothing is sure in football. Oh, it should be an interesting few uh, few days ahead. Well, I mean, tomorrow they're, of course, playing against Chelsea away in London. I mean, uh, I know you, you don't have a soft spot for Chelsea because you're a, an Arsenal fan. Um, you, would you be hopeful that the, the rumours around uh, Ten Hag are not going to knock the team off? I don't, th- I don't think they will knock the team off. I think there's a lot of togetherness in the team. There's a lot of um, 
fight to want to do well, and and these players have been brought along brought along well under under Ten Hag's tutelage. You know, if this is a manager that got the team to almost the Champions League final last season, and this is a manager who's, who's very much focused game on game and, and never appears to get carried away. So I don't believe that um, Ajax will be knocked off course, and I think they'll go to London and um, with full belief that they can get a positive result. Okay, if 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 you're looking at that, I mean, they're they're they're, they're obviously they're they're doing very very well in the in the in their own league. Um, but do you think maybe that it's you know that, that possibly that the, the this distraction could actually knock them back a bit? Do you think that Bayern have just enough money that they can tempt them and pay off all and sundry? Uh, well, I, I also think it comes down to ambition. Ten uh, by his own admission, said when when linked to Chelsea, I think it was the back end of last summer uh, when initial links came out that he wants to return to Germany and, and managing the Bundesliga. So I think this is kind of like a um, a great opportunity for him, but it will also be interesting to see how Bayern Munich act, how uh, how um, how they work together with Ajax in terms of eventual uh, compensation, and and Ten Hag as well is on for another successful season in the Netherlands, where he can become champion again with Ajax. They um, they'll look to hopefully win the domestic cup as well, and also also making roads in the Champions League like last year. I mean, in the Eredivisie, for example, they're currently six points ahead of second place outside Alec Mar, who also having a very good season. And uh, I, I'd be interesting to see how things pan out in the coming days. Uh, I mean, okay, uh, you know, Bayern, we'll, we'll move back from this in a moment, but Bayern, they are fourth in the league. They're only four points off uh, top spot and only a point off second place. Uh, Borussia Dortmund in second, Red Bull Leipzig in third, Mönchengladbach are still top of the table. Um, but, you know, you'd look at them thinking like that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing okay, in, or doing okay in the Champions League, they've got money to probably push on and win the Bundesliga with or without them. Um, but do you think that it's 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 almost better for his capital that he can maybe look to go to maybe a better club? Maybe maybe the Arsenal job might open up? Possibly, but as a sorry. Yeah, I think that maybe the Arsenal job might might open up for him. Possibly possibly. Uh, it's 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 possible, but as I say, Ten Hag's personal preference is to return to Germany. That's his personal preference. That's what he would like to do. He would like to return to Germany and, and managing the Bundesliga at a, a top club and you really can't get any bigger than Bayern Munich yeah that is that is true I mean they're always going to be challenged up at the top of Europe as well um, ok look at, looking at his Ajax team of course we have uh, the former Russian uh, favourite um, Mr Quincy Promise he is knocking in the goals right now in Holland he, he's in great form at the moment isn't he He's in tremendous form and he's also playing with a huge smile on his face. He's very happy and very settled in uh, at Ajax and uh, wanted to return to the Netherlands and um, and obviously with his time at Sevilla. But as I said when we spoke before, you know, he's always extremely positive about his time at Spartak Moscow. And he's never once said about the experience not helping him in his career. And it was also nice for him to become champion in Russia and also win the... Russian Super Cup, I believe. Yeah, I mean, he, he was. I mean, he was. He was a terrific player when he was here. We kind of always wondered where would he move off to. Um, he's still young enough, though, isn't he, to, to maybe to, to have a shot over in England or something? I mean, would, would you reckon that he he might uh, take a, take a chance and, and go to England? He's only twenty seven. Um, it is possible, but I, I believe that that depends on the club. It really depends on the club that. Uh, 
but want to sign him. I mean, if you look at his career in general, you know, he had a, a very good spell at go-ahead Eagles here in uh, in the Netherlands and then signing for Spartak Moscow and then on to Sevilla. Now gaining more Dutch national team caps as well and then becoming important and becoming a, a key squad player at international level. But I think in terms of going to England, I think it primarily w- which club comes in for him because obviously Ajax is the biggest club in the Netherlands. There's progress being made in uh, in Europe as well and the opportunity to win domestic honours. So um, it would have to be a very tempting club in that respect. Okay, no, that's fair enough. Um... Just well, on, on, on the topic of Spartak, of course, they, they paid a huge amount of money for the, well, uh, 21-year-old, well, soon to be 22, uh, uh, Goose Teal. Um, and he is, you know, he's, he's quite an impressive young player. He's over here, uh, of course, he's a midfielder. Um, what, what can you tell us? How is he rated in Holland? Because he's won one cap, but it's been quite a time since that. Uh, well, he's, he's rated as a very mature player. And, uh, and he's definitely that. He was captain of Azad Alkmaar before signing for Spartak Moscow. And Gustil, uh, to give uh, the listeners a bit of a fact, he was actually born in Zambia. That's his uh, birth- place of birth because I think he'd fa- his father would work uh, and do a lot of international business. But he's he's very highly rated, a very mature player, very level-headed. And uh, with, a, with a good, um, you can feel his presence on the pitch now in terms of uh, goals and assists, and also, and also for him to be so mature to captain Arsene Alakmaz at a young age before signing for Spartak Moscow is something very impressive indeed. Why has he not won more caps for, for Russia or for for Netherlands? Because it was his his first and only cap uh, was over a year and a half ago. I think that's due to the the midfield that he's competing against. He's competing against players with the likes of Frenkie de Jong at Barcelona, Donny van der Beek at Ajax, and Van Aldum, of course, is, uh, is is a very important part of Liverpool. I think he's just in a position where he's um, it's a very good squad and it's a stronger squad than in recent years. But his his time will definitely come. You know, he has great characteristics in terms of leadership. And, um, and maturity, and, and to captain, um, to captain, I said, Alakmar at the age of uh, 21 is is uh, it's no mean feat, and no. um, a very uh, a, a very key factor in terms of his development as a player going forward. Now he is, of course, here on a four-year contract, but you know people are looking if if he's going to move away or you. But you know. If they keep for a couple more years, it will do well. Now, of course, he came in at uh, the same time um, as the son uh, of the former, uh, well, Swedish uh, great um, Henrik Larsson, Jordan Larsson, who has been in the goals here so it, since he's come 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 to Russia. Uh, but he used to, of course, play with NEC in Holland. That was where he went went to go for, as he said himself, his football education. Um, what can you tell us about how he is viewed in Holland? And you think that you know uh, Spartak is the right place for him as well? Well, I think in, in terms of uh, NSA, NSA are a club that very much always believed in youth. And uh, they've had a bit of a tumultuous time in recent years with uh, relegation to the first division. But um, they had a re- they, one of their recent managers was uh, a German manager called Peter Hibala, who I uh, was lucky enough to interview. And uh, he was telling me about the, his, when he was in charge of the club about believing in youth. And, and giving the youth uh, youth players an opportunity, and I, I think in the case of uh, Jordan Larson, as you mentioned, you know it's a it's it's a country. Benevolence is a country which gives youth players an opportunity, and that that will always be the case. That will always be the bloodline. And you also see we mentioned Chris Till just now, 
you know, at the age of 21 to captain Arsene Alakmaar. And it was interesting because with Chris Steele, just going back to Chris Steele quickly, when the rumours were rife about him signing for Spartak, he, he didn't give too much away. He was um, extremely complimentary about Arsene and wanting everything to be done properly, but also fully aware of the size of a club like Spartak Moscow and the opportunity that he had, he had uh, before him to sign for the club. Uh, I mean, again, like Spartak, are, you know, they're, they're they're always in public eye, and of course, they're always going to be at least competitive in in, in Russia. So, you know, they, well, this isn't it's not great for them, but they they seem to be recovering from that a wee bit. Um, listen, moving back onto your own uh, work at the moment, you've had a very very interesting piece uh, just this this past week. Can you ch- ch- tell us a little bit about it? Uh, interesting, interesting piece. Can you hear us? You fell, you fell away. You fell away a little bit. Oh, sorry. Yes, sir. I was just. Okay. Can you hear us? Uh, yeah, it's just when you were describing the the piece that you fell away. So I was just. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. Just about your your. Quiet about. My apologies. Just about your your most recent piece um, about Lee Clark uh, yes. and sort of like his his development. So if you just quickly capture the the essence of the articles, we're going to tweet it out right now on our account um, because it is well worth a read, James. Uh, thank you very much for your uh, kind words. It's my very much appreciated. As listeners may know, I interview professional players and managers on a regular basis, and I write for World Football Index. And um, yeah, I spoke to Lee Clark, the former Newcastle Sunderland uh, player, also Fulham as well. And uh, he's now managing Blythe Spartans. And uh, when I spoke to him, he, he spoke about the challenge of uh, managing such a club as Blythe Spartans and the overturn of players. When when he took over, there was 16 departures and there was an awful lot of work to be done. But he remained completely positive and, and, and wanting to um, wanting to stabilise the club and, and for them to look up in the football pyramid. He also reflected on his time at, um, at Birmingham City. And, uh, and the honour it was to manage a club of that size and, and very much being attached to the um, to the area. When reflecting on his club career, speaking about managing under, playing under such great managers and playing for the likes of Newcastle and, and playing in Europe for Newcastle and Fulham as well. And um, he, was, he was saying as well that he's very happy and very content at the level he is now. He was very ambitious to get back to a higher level, but one thing I try to do, um, one thing I try to do, guys, is I always try to um, to capture the essence of every professional footballer or manager that I'm lucky to speak to. And unfortunately, with World Football Index, I can basically go anywhere in the world, and and people can check the um, the the link with uh, to World Football Index. And on my Twitter feed, it's the it's the link to the bio of all my interviews. Perfect. Yes, yeah, so I always say that everybody's got a story to tell, and it's about. Um, about the background information and, and the little facts and the little figures that re, that that correspond to that, and uh, I must say finally about Lee Clark as well. To to he often said about studying the managers he played under, such as Sir Bobby Robson and, and and how good he was. That he was so um, even in he was always thinking about the game from a young age, always thinking about how to progress and development and team selection and, and what could be best in terms of training. Okay. And that led him to, to start taking his, his coaching badges and, and he managed to achieve that at the age of 19. Perfect. Listen, James, thank you so, so much for that. It's well worth read. We've just retweeted it on our account. Thank you so much and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you.
Okay, that was James Rowe. We're going to go straight at the break. We're just running a little bit over time. So this is Muse and Uprising. Back after the break with Joseph Sexton down in Spain. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
предложение, которым вас не учили на уроках английского. Cobblers. Cobblers. Объясняет стендап-комик Стив Форман. Лондон, Великобритания. Cobblers – это слово в английском как хрень, чепуха, бред. Просто совершенно придуманное и никак не подходит к теме. Мы говорим «That is cobblers». Cobblers. Cobblers. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope boys and girls are not awake and listening to this. I hope you're all in bed by now. If you're not, get to bed. Tomorrow is back to school day. Right, in just a minute, we're going over to Joseph Sexton, of course. He is going to give us a rundown of what's happening in Spain because there's been a lot of discussion that, you know, the Spanish clubs are not all this, not all that, but... We, we saw Athletic Madrid and what they can do uh, when they played uh, local here. So there is quite a bit of talent there. Okay, again, recapping the games this week coming up because, of course, huge games for the uh, the clubs. Siska Moscow on Wednesday, or sorry, Thursday, they are away. 11 o'clock kickoff in beautiful Budapest. I mean, Budapest is, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I just, I love the city. I love the country of Hungary. It's great. Of course, Ireland is home. But anyway, I just I, I'll go there. Okay, tomorrow Zenit are at five to nine playing against Red Bull Leipzig. So fingers crossed that they take the fizz out of the boys from Germany or wherever they're from. Um, the big game tomorrow, of course, Chelsea against Ajax Amsterdam. That is one to watch. That's at eleven o'clock. So if you're two games picked out, you're there for our very very best. Now. Uh, Lokomotiv are playing 5-9 to nine on Wednesday evening. Okay, so that's against Juve. So, you know, it, it's... Look, Loco are, are, are being difficult to beat, but as Andy said, they give away a lot of fouls, a lot of red cards, yellow cards. It could be a penalty to side this game. That's kind of the opinion of uh, Andy. Then, of course, later on in the evening, the big game for me, by any way, shape or form, and double N, he agrees with me, it's Real Madrid at home against Galatasaray. That is going to be... Brilliant. That is going to be brilliant. Okay. So, we are going to go all the way down to sunny Spain. I hope it's warmer than here anyway. And to Mr. Joseph Sexton, a very good friend of the club. Oh, he has just dropped the... Oh, okay. Uh, Double N is going to pick the line back up right now. So, uh, before we do, we actually want to give a bit of an update on the KHL, the Hockey League, of course, as well. Siska Moscow, the reigning champs, they are top of the Western Division. They are on 39 points out of 29, 25 games played. Uh, Dinamo Moscow are doing quite well this season in a new little arena. They are in fourth place on 31 point Spartak are just one point back with 26 games played in fifth place and of course uh, we also have to give a bit of a shout out uh, get, uh, to uh, Vityaz of course there in uh, Podolsk in Podmoskovia they are up in third place so well done them ok so now we finally have thanks to the handiwork of Mr Double N we have James Rowe on the phone with us James how are you doing? Yours? Uh Joseph here. Oh, Joseph, sorry. What did I say? James. I'm mixing up our last caller. I just said that Joseph Sexton was coming up. My goodness. Okay. Don't, look, it's late in the evening. It's a bank holiday Monday, so forgive me, please. Um, okay. So, listen, uh, how is the weather down there in sunny Spain? I guess the sun has already set. Oh, I, I, I am not in sunny Spain. It's uh, pretty miserable here. I think we're in the middle of a spell of about 10 days consecutive of rain. Oh, no. So, sunny Spain it ain't. <laughs> so, are you on the plane? 
Um, up in a yeah, I mean that's a, that's a lie. It falls on the coast. Now <laughs> I'm up here in Galicia. Nice one in Galicia. Okay, very very good. Actually, I I, I did uh, some interviews with the uh, Galician football teams, uh, the Gaelic football teams who were playing in the World Games in Waterford wow. this summer. Yeah, a, a great. I bun- actually know a few of those guys. Yeah, yeah, a great bunch of people. Absolutely brilliant. Really really very enjoyed good. it. And 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 you know more Irish to the Irish in many ways. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> we we both know that. So listen, Joseph. Straight away, um, La Liga. A lot of people are saying it's the best. It's the best uh, race in quite a long time. A lot of uh, shocks, results, some smaller teams pushing through, and so on. Is this all until kind of the big two get their acts together and really kick the crap out of the rest of them? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Um, I think um, I think it's probably safe to say that you know Barca weren't quite what they were when they had that uh, Messi, Suarez, Neymar front line and you know Suarez himself is a bit older so there's been a bit of a regression there uh, well unless Griezmann settles in a bit better perhaps but um, also Madrid aren't really quite what they were well I mean they don't have Ronaldo so they're clearly not what they were a few years ago when they were winning three Champions Leagues on the so we've had the big two kind of uh, get reeled in a little bit by the other side and some of the other sides have absolutely improved so as you say it's certainly making for an interesting title race and um, you know you see at the weekend Barca get up ahead against Levante at half time I actually uh, thought this is done and then three goals in eight minutes so they're showing a vulnerability and sides aren't as afraid to play them as, as they were in the past I mean, if you look at the table, I mean, we, we've been taking an interest course in Spain um, th- yeah. this season, especially because you, you have Barcelona, Madrid and Sociedad all tied on 21 points. And then right behind you, you've got Atletico Sevilla. And of course, Atletico were the only team who were in the black this, this summer because the other teams above them, or the teams above them, like, say, Barca and uh, Madrid, uh, Real, they paid huge amounts of money for players. And do you think that maybe, you know, they, they, they just need time to settle those players in? Uh, absolutely, it's absolutely the case um, with Barcelona and Griezmann. I, I, I don't think, you know, Griezmann had some good games when Messi was absent. I mean, obviously you want Messi back in the team. That's, that's, that's pretty fundamental. But um, it's not entirely obvious how you knit that front three together. But you think perhaps with um, a bit of time, uh, obviously he's, uh, the, you know, been the, one of the best players in the world, one of the best players in the league for quite some time. So I'm pretty sure that will come good. Um, there were teething problems when, when, when Suarez joined for a bit as well. Um, with Madrid, I mean, they spent a lot of money in the summer, but you look at how many of those players are actually getting into the starting 11, it's really, it's really only Aiden Hazard. Uh, it's curious because they, I know they miss certain targets such as uh, Pogba and the like, um, but um, they're, they're, they're playing with a, a starting 11 that have been picked up for years, and in the case of the midfield, uh, Kroos and Modric seem to be getting on a little bit uh, in terms of the legs. So I think it could be a, continue to be a tricky season for Madrid. Um, I mean, I say tricky, look at the table, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, they're not pulling away. The, you know, and, and, and Barca beaten again at the weekend as well. I mean, now Barcelona, they have a game, of course, tomorrow night in the Champions League. So they, you know, they, they're, well, yeah. they're well looking at that they're going to rectify that. Uh, they're playing at home against Slavia Prague. Now, Barca yeah. are, are, are sitting relatively pretty in their group. They're on seven points ahead of Inter Milan, Borussia Dortmund and Slavia Prague. But again, one slip up and, you know, Barcelona could fall down. I mean, they, they need to beat, you know, they're, they're home against Dortmund. They're home against Slavia. They're home against yeah. Dortmund and then away against Inter. 
but you would kind of still feel that they have enough to get out of that group, won't they? And and to win tomorrow night. You would, but their position is entirely misleading. Um, so watch the Dortmund game. Dortmund um, had a lot of chances that night. Uh, I think um, with some better finishing, might have won it. Although, if I remember correctly, Barca, I think uh, a messy chance right at the end. Uh, don't quote me, but they, they had a chance right at the end. But that would have been such an unjust uh, three points. Um, against Inter, I mean, again, Inter, Inter were excellent and uh, can feel really aggrieved to not have won that game. And although I didn't catch the first game against Slavia Prague, I was watching the other game. By all the reports, Barca made very, very heavy going of Slavia Prague. Uh, Prague had considerably more shots than them. I mean, that's a bit worrying. Although, I suppose, you know, two of those are away. And it's not a new thing that Barcelona aren't exactly brilliant on the road in Europe. So, uh, maybe we shouldn't read too much into anything specific this season. Because they, they, they do seem to make a... Make, make hard going of, of all, all kinds of teams when they play away. So, yeah, uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's very hard to see them having trouble at this stage now getting out of the group. It's looking okay. pretty good. Now, of course, the, the group that interests most of us um, here is the, the the group with Atletico Madrid because they are joint top of the group with Juve. Now, we saw them here in Moscow and they were very, yep. very strong. I mean, first half, they knew they were kind of being, they were held back and, and they were okay. Then in the space of 10 minutes, they scored two goals. And now they are kind of like odds on to qualify um, from the group in any case. I mean, there's Juve at the top, then them on both in seven points. Um, you would expect them to, to at least get into the, into, into the, the knockout stage of the Champions League, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, it's set up uh, fine for them. Um, and they're playing Leverkusen now, who are without... Uh, so I'm pretty sure they're on zero points right now. So yeah, yeah. you think uh, get a result in this game, and it's pretty much all set up for them. I mean, their home game, their last last game is at home on the eleventh of December against uh, Loco. So, I mean, lo, like they, they could almost be cruising. Could be great for Loco to get a, a point in that to um, get into the Europa League knockout stage. Um, a, little, a little bit further on, you, you've got then. I mean, it, it's 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 a little bit tight for Real Madrid because they they we know uh, PSG. They have qualified out of the group. They're through. They're nine points. Real are second on four points, and then they've got Club Brugge and Galatasaray. Um, they're playing against. I mean, this is a tough one against Galatasaray. Uh, this is the one that, for me, is the game of the. It's at eleven o'clock Moscow time here. That is the game of that. Uh, the game of the day, actually, because I, I think Galatasaray are going to come to try and you know really put up not just a show, but actually go to to, to beat them. Yeah, let's see. Um, obviously, Madrid got off to a really poor start in this group, but with the uh, the defeat to PSG and then the well, I mean, they 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 were a bit lucky uh, against Brugge. You know, they were two 0 down and all that. Um, but um, you know, that said, looking at the table now, despite that sticky start, I mean, they are still a couple of points ahead of Brugge. Who, um, who haven't actually registered a win despite that excellent performance against Madrid. They, they, they've got two draws and one defeat. So, I mean, it, it, it's hard to overstate how important that away win against Galatasaray was. Um, it was absolutely fundamental, vital. Um, and now, I think, having gotten over that hurdle, you think it's, it should be pretty much plain sailing from here for a, a side. You know, I've said Madrid aren't quite what they were, but of course they're 
uh, a lot of uh, clubs in Europe would kill to have the talent they have. <laughs> that is true. And finally, just uh, the last team in the Champions League course is Valencia. They are uh, they're home to Lille, and um, our Andy Mack tipped Valencia to to win that game fairly handy because they've never lost to or they've they've a great record against French sides, and Lille have a terrible record against Spanish sides. But they're in a tough group with Chelsea and Ajax. Um, but you you would expect them to at least get to the Europa League knockout stage, and maybe 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 nip past Ajax if uh, things are not going Ajax's way. Yeah, I think um, I think Europa League is um, going to end up for Valencia. Uh, they got the you know got off had a perfect win against Chelsea. And they've, they've not exactly been great. That to be honest, watching them domestically, it's, it's very hard to figure them out. You know, they they, they got rid of their manager, which um, really upset the balance because he was very popular. He'd been very very successful. Uh, brought in Albert Celades, um I don't really know what to make of them uh, on the whole this season, not, not just thinking of this uh, group specifically. But looking at the way, I mean, Ajax still look a very, very decent side, so I would say um, uh, qualification for the next phase, it, it would be a case of uh, Chelsea or um, Chelsea Ajax losing it, really. That uh, might, might be what it comes down to. But in terms of the Europa League, obviously Valencia, yeah, you, you can pretty much nail them down for that at the minimum. And listen, about uh, Dennis Cheryshev, he scored, of course, against Lille in the, uh, the last round of games. Um, is, is he as highly rated there as we, we sort of believe he is? Uh, well, how, how highly rated do you think he is? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, he's in a Okay, let's move on past that, Joseph. Okay, uh, Joseph, listen, before we let you go, what has been the most uh, outstanding team for you so far, the team that surprised you most in, the, uh, in, in La Liga this season? Granada, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, they've been phenomenal. They've just come back up this season. They've um, e- even before this weekend. In fact, I think even before the midweek round of fixtures last week, they already had as many points as they had the entire last season that they were in the Primera. Twenty points. Um, you know, this is a side that was <laughs> basically rebuilt after uh, that relegation. Um, got up at the second time of asking, and you know, there they are going top of the table. I mean. They're right up there, we're, and we're what, uh, you know, we're we're we're, we're past the ten game mark. Um, obviously, the priority for them is survival. But you look at how well they're doing, and it's just uh, this is great because you you see this um, every so often in La Liga. A small club comes up. I mean, I know Granada have been in the top division for a few years uh, until recently, but you know, a club that comes up having very little expectation, but with good management. Uh, Good management behind the scenes in terms of sporting directors, structures, that sort of thing. They can really punch above their weight. So uh, it's really great to see what they're doing. That's great. And I'll be heading down there in December for a game too, so I'm really looking forward to that. Enjoy it. Listen, Joseph Sexton, thank you so, so much for your time. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you. Okay, it was Joseph Sexton. We're going to go straight out. Double N, thank you so much for your work on the phones today and tweets as well. Folks, we're going to go straight out. It's Imagine Dragons on top of the world. Kind of like it's, it fits in what just finished off with Granada. So, listen, have a great sports week. Enjoy the Champions League this week. We'll be back Sunday night next week, 9 o'clock, until 11 o'clock on regular time. Have fun, have a great week, and stay nice and warm. Okay, take care. And this is Imagine Dragons and On Top of the World. 